This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by touringplans.com. Head over to touringplans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the crowd calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the touring plans to save time and money waiting in line. Touringplans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. We have a Hulk, people. A what? A Hulk. <laughs> Where did that come from? The Avengers movie. May you... 4th, 2012, my friend. May 4th, 2012. I got an idea. Maybe we should see that together. I think we should. And you know what? I think Bree should be there, and I think Cheryl should be there, and I think everyone that's listening to our voices right now should be there. I think so, too. Let's pick a day. Let's pick a day. Hmm. All right. Hmm. You well, know you what? Know, we... I... Oh. I'm going to be there near you on May the 19th. May 19th? Yes. Hey, that works really well because that's like Star Wars weekend or something. We talk about Star Wars all the time. We love Star Wars. We and, love Avengers. Yes, I was going to say, you know what else we love is Avengers. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we should do this. May 19th, let's have an Avengers meet at the Downtown Disney Movie Theater. Absolutely. All right, people, if you're listening to my voice, make your travel plans. Get down to Walt Disney World May 19th. All four of us are going to be there, and we are going to watch Avengers. We've been talking about it. We've been promoing it. But all of us are going to be at the Downtown Disney Theaters, and we're going to go see Avengers. It's our first Disney Film Project meet, and we expect every one of our listeners to be there. While we do have a day, we don't have a time yet, folks. So, if you want to catch up with us and you're not sure how and you just want to be updated and you're not sure you're listening to us and you're just catching us now, um, the ways to do that are via email at disfilmproject at gmail.com, via the website at disneyfilmproject.com, via Facebook, Disney Fil- Dis- Disney Film Project. And via Twitter at DizFilm Project. And we will make a planned cast item for it as well. As soon as we get time, we'll yes, make a planned yes, cast will. item. But thus, get in touch with us via any four of those mediums. Um, send, you know, send any of us a message. That's right. But May 19th, people, be at Walt Disney World, be at the theaters. As soon as we have movie times, we will let you guys know when the time is going to be. But... Be there on May 19th. Make your travel plans now. Call your travel agent and tell them you've got to be there. May 19th, Avengers Meet, Disney Film Project. Don't miss it. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project podcast. This program is the one where we discuss the films of the Walt Disney Company, from the earliest film, Snow White, all the way to the latest film in theaters, John Carter. And on this program, I am Ryan Kilpatrick, host and proprietor over at DisneyFilmProject.com, where we have blogs and podcasts and all kinds of fun stuff talking about the films of the Disney company. Uh, but none of that would be possible without my friends and co-hosts. First of all, Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who is chief technical officer of DisneyDrivenLife.com. He is also a blogger at TouringPlans.com, and he just moved. Yes, I, I did move. Wasn't, wasn't entirely moved by this movie, but I did move. That's okay. Yeah. As long as long as you were moved, it's all good. Yeah. You were not moved as far as John Carter, but you no. did move. I did move. I moved. Uh, let's see. I decreased my commute to Disney significantly, but I increased my commute to work significantly. So it's like trade off. Priorities, man. Priorities. I agree. Cheryl Perlmutter is also with us. She is the producer of the program who edits all of this and makes it worthwhile. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at CherylP3 or go to about.me slash CherylP3, and you can read about – I'm sure you can read about her travails moving as well as producing this podcast. You've just had all, no end of trouble, I'm sure, Cheryl. Oh, yes. No end of troubles here. And normally, folks, we are joined by one Brianna Alessio, who is a blogger over at Adventures of Brie and adventuresofbrie.blogspot.com and over at disneydrivenlife.com. But she is working. She's working up a storm, trying to make some money to be able to move down there and, and, and be near the Pearl Mutters and, oh, Disney, too. 
but she will be joining us intermittently until she can uh, get that work schedule ironed out. But meanwhile, we have wonderful guests who are joining us to discuss the films. We are joined this evening by one Mr. Mark Weaver of IlluminateEpcot.com, as well as the Generation Mouse podcast. How are you, Mark? I'm doing well. Yourself? Uh, quite well, quite well. Your, are your Wildcats still doing well? Uh, so far. Uh, I'm hoping they avoid the nasty upset bug, but Duke lost, so I cannot complain too much. There you go. See, all's well that ends well. So as mentioned this evening, we are discussing John Carter, the latest release from Walt Disney Pictures, directed by Andrew Stanton of Pixar fame from the Finding Nemo and Wally films. I think a few of you might have seen those. Yes, just one or two. This film is released 100 years after the character was first imagined by Edgar Rice Burroughs. It was a uh, serialized bit of fiction that appeared in some magazines and then collected into a hardcover a Princess of Mars in 1917 and uh, has had a varied, uh, travailed road to the to the silver screen. This is the first time it has actually made it to film, but but not the first time it was attempted. Correct, Mr. Perlmutter? Yes. I mean, in fact, I just to stay on topic, it was uh, it was actually attempted once before by Disney, <laughs> and uh, and Tom Cruise was set to play the the lead character. Ooh, I don't know how that would have worked. Yeah, it was it was uh, n- not it, it failed obviously because we didn't see it and uh, the, I feel the need the need yeah, for fail the need for fail nice <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the rights uh, to the to the story the actual book and everything did revert to the Burroughs estate uh, but Disney retained the rights to make the film uh, thanks to Jeffrey Katzenberg. Uh, one more thing to thank Jeffrey Katzenberg for. Yeah. I know that Disney Disney's been thanking him a lot. Uh, the, the, Paramount also tried to make this movie. I don't know if you know that. They tried to make this movie back in the mid-2000s. A guy named John Favreau was uh, scheduled to direct, but the project fell through, and he moved on to this little independent film called Iron Man. Although he was actually in this movie. He is. He has a cameo in the movie. And he's Uh, also our Star Wars reference, believe it or not. I have another one. Uh Uh-oh. Dueling Star Wars references. So, um, John Favreau plays Prey Vizsla and a warrior commander in on Star Wars The Clone Wars. All right. There you, you go. You, yeah. You, you know who, who mine is? Ooh, ooh, can, can I say mine? Yes, you can. So Please. so the, the lead bad guy, Sabathon, or Tharn, or however you pronounce these guys' names, I'm not really good with the name thing on these things, uh, is played by Dominic West, who is famous for his role in The Wire. Yes. But he, he was also played one of the palace guards in The Phantom Menace. Very cool. There you go. See, it all comes back to Star Wars. It really does. Well, at least we didn't have Jar Jar Binks in this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, although, instead we have Tars Tarkas. Although honestly, the Jar Jar Binks may have been influenced by the by the Tarks. Wouldn't surprise me. As you may or may not know, this is one of the uh, science fiction stories that basically influenced all of the science fiction you saw in the in the twentieth century. Everything. Absolutely. I mean, it's, there's, there's no question there. Um, and one of those things is, uh, admittedly, by George Lucas, that much of his concepts in Star Wars, right down to uh, creature names and stuff like that, all come straight out of the, the uh, John Carter books. Yes, absolutely. I did not know that. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, I'll actually, in the show notes, I'll actually include a link that has a couple of movie, movie things that Star Wars takes from, and it lists a few things from John Carter, from Princess of Mars specifically, and stuff like that. So, Yeah. It ended up being an 11-book series, so, I mean, there are many, 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 many uh, well-known writers, directors who draw inspiration from, from the John Carter books. So it's no wonder that it's been one that they've tried to get to the silver screen for quite some time. So Andrew Stanton is the one who succeeded with Taylor Kitsch of Friday Night Lights fame, also uh, played Gambit in X-Men Origins Wolverine. That's our superhero connection there. Uh, and he plays the title character, John Carter. Uh, I, I would have to say, though, they didn't feature him a lot in the marketing, and they didn't really explain why we would care about a guy named John Carter. Can I just kind of be blunt? They completely dropped the ball when it came to the marketing for this movie. I had no idea what it was about before I went to the theater. I have not read the books. 
I enjoyed the movie, but before I got into the theater, I could have had a better chance of telling you what's in Ryan's fridge than what this movie would have been about. That wouldn't be too hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you, Mark. I think uh, I, the moment I saw it, that the marketing was going to be a failure was I was uh, actually in a, in a cab on the way out of New York City, and they had a 10-story high billboard for John Carter, which I was excited to see until I saw what was on the billboard, which is basically the green aliens from the movie they call the Tharks. And that's it. John Carter was not on the billboard. <laughs> wow. That's, I mean, that's right up there weird with when we went into the theater. The ushers had night vision goggles during the theater watching for anybody with their phones. It was odd. Yeah. That is bizarre, yeah. Not to mention there are jamming devices that handle that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been to I've been to tons of, of movie previews, you know, before the movies come out, and I've never seen that before. They, Disney was very protective of this, you know. They they put an embargo on it before uh, before the, the movie was released, so you couldn't, even though you saw it, you could not post a review until a week beforehand. So I think they were very protective of the film. Uh, for, I, I, I really don't know why, because it's not a terrible movie, um, but it seems like they felt like it could be. I don't know. Uh, I, I will say that I did not care for the opening, though. Uh, we talked about this with Pirates and how that movie sort of opens without with exposition, uh, and, and this one does as well, where we get the entire backstory of Mars and, and, the, and the bad guy, Sab Than, and the, the fighting cities. But it's not told from John Carter's point of view, which the rest of the film theoretically is. So I'm not really sure where it comes from. Attention, listeners. Should you be listening to this podcast and not having seen this movie before, we will be spoiling it. Utterly, thoroughly spoiling as much as possible of it, right down to anything that you might actually want to pretend not to know about it before seeing it. So please, please pause now. No, really, I meant pause like five. No, stop, stop, stop listening now. So... I thought the beginning of this movie was a lot like Finding Nemo because when they have to go on when 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 they're going on an expedition and he lands and they they find him with and the babies have hatched early, have not hatched yet and they have to kill the babies I thought I kind of thought Finding Nemo nod I just thought the babies were ridiculously cute I I know I just kind of thought Finding Nemo now because that's what that's what essentially happens to Nemo is although his he was his 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 brothers and sisters were eaten, but Marlin the clownfish of Mars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nemo no Nemo the clownfish of Mars. Oh. you guys you guys are getting way too into the deep here. But anyway. <laughs> the, this this film opens with like 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 Cheryl said with John Carter eventually gets to Mars, but he doesn't get there for what twenty minutes. He doesn't get there for almost thirty because I thought the first thirty minutes was mostly. It was kind. Of, I thought that the backstory was kind of backwards. Like you said, they had that first at the very beginning of the movie. They had the backstory of Mars, which to me kind of felt like a. Uh, you're picking up from like a season finale, like last time on Star Trek The Next Generation. And you're just kind of thrown into it, and then you get the backstory, but you get the, you don't get the backstory until there's primer for the backstory. If right. That makes sense. It, it's also impossible to re- for somebody who knows nothing about the story to remember that stuff because they have nothing to attach it with. Okay? So if you think about that first, I mean, it was like 10 minutes, right, where they went over the whole backstory about how the. The, the servants of Is are the Thurns, and the Thurns came down to Sab Tharn, and Sab Tharn got the weapon and started to take to destroy the armies of Helium. Right? That's right. essentially what you learn in ten minutes, right? Right. But notice, I rem- I remember that. But how many people who are listening to this who have seen it ha- actually remember that it went down like that? I didn't until you mentioned. It. I didn't think about it. Right. Me neither. And, and, and that's that's the thing is because you because. It's it's forgettable at the point in time when they're presenting it to you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because the rest of the, the 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 next sort of step is we get Ned, who's actually Edgar Rice Burroughs' character, coming in after John Carter is quote unquote dead, even though we just saw him sending a telegram. 
So right. that part's very confusing to me. I got you get it at the end, but at the beginning it doesn't make much sense. And we get the fact that John Carter is dead and Ned is reading his diary and that's that's how the story unfolds. So how that beginning sequence could have been involved if it was supposed to be in John Carter's diary and he didn't actually know it doesn't make much sense. It just felt like the whole beginning of the movie was very, it, like, it didn't flow the story linearly. And for a story that is as complicated as this is, you need to give the audience something to, to latch on to because this is not an easy one to follow. <laughs> yeah. I well, felt that the, uh, the beginning, the information was there, maybe just in the wrong order. I thought that, especially like with, when you finally get to John Carter, you're seeing him as he's getting ready to get into the cave of gold and everything. The humor that's in that, in that whole sequence where he keeps escaping, it, it, it doesn't really, I wouldn't say it was something that was required to be there. They could have done that, that whole sequence without the humor, but I thought the humor made the sequence worth watching, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, I think that that part, the, the beginning part before he goes into the cave where he eventually gets transported to Mars was there to show kind of some of his character, right? Because he doesn't want to fight the Apache and he doesn't want to fight with the Calvary. He just wants to be left alone to find his gold and move on with his life, which is basically what happens throughout the whole movie, right? He just wants to be left alone. So I, I understand why it was there. It, it is definitely long and it's definitely they definitely tried to... They definitely tried to humor it up a bit to make it funnier, but that tone is not there the rest of the movie, and it really couldn't be. Yeah. No, no, you're right. I mean, it, you made a good point about two seconds ago, though, is, is much of the movie is how he is wanting to forget the life he had and ends up finding the life he needs, right? Which, you know, yes. just to throw in the princess and the frog reference there. But it's it's after that conflict he get, that he finally gets teleported to Mars, which is, like like we said, about 30 minutes in. And that's the part that Cheryl was talking about with the eggs where he, he finds this hatchery and the, the Tharks, uh, who I saw on the poster, show up. And this is where I got confused. This is where I think this – it seems like – I have not read the books, but it seems like to me this movie was slavishly devoted to the concepts and ideas from the novels mm-hmm. because I immediately got confused in the very beginning here about Tars Tarkas, the, the giant green Martian character – keeps calling himself Jeddak, which makes no sense unless you know that that's Martian for king. Yeah. yeah. In, the, in, the, in the very next sequence, we see the princess referring to her father as Jeddak, which made me go, wait, wait, what What now? Huh? <laughs> yeah, this that actually threw me off a little bit too, and I'll tell you why, is I wasn't sure if Jeddak was actually – a word from the Thark language or whether it was a word because he thought Carter was one of the other Martians, right? Because there's essentially three groups of Martians, right? There's the Tharks, the Red Martians, right, who are really akin to Red Indians. It's actually because it's from that same time period right. as right when we were discussing – remember we were discussing Peter Pan and we talked about the Red Indians. Same, same idea. It's the same concepts. That's what they were referred to back then. And then um, you have what essentially are the white Martians, which are these therns, right? right? And and Carter is could be mistaken for either, but is neither. And I I suspect that um, he was using the 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 red Martian or white Martian word for king, not necessarily his own word for king. That's what I was trying to figure out. Yeah, I don't think they presented it in a way that you could figure it out. No, you're right. I mean, the so in in, in the books, right? There's there's maybe a few hundred words of the Tharn the Thark language given. So they actually hired a linguist to complete the Thark language, uh, including gra- grammar, regional dialects, accents. Because if you remember in the movie, there's multiple groups of Tharks where concentrated on one of them but there's that other group when they go to the isle of is or the river of is or yeah okay and so they're they're very complete and it's it's very interesting because the actors had to 
master that language to a point where they could speak it with accents, which, well, okay, William Defoe is really good at that to begin with, that that's established from prior roles that Defoe has had. Um, but it, it's very similar to uh, – I remember watching this interview with Jackie Chan once, okay, where before – when Jackie Chan first started doing American films for American film companies, he still didn't speak the English language. And so he would literally phonetically learn his lines and pay attention to the phonetic lines of the person he was with, okay? And then he would play his lines like that. And during those first few moves, like movies like Rush Hour, he didn't speak English at that point in time. Oh. Same concept is going on here, right? The actors had to speak this other language and understand it to a point where they knew what they were saying while, while on stilts so they could all appear to be 15 feet tall. Because that's such an easily easily accomplished feat. So like I said, they were on stilts, right? Now, there's actually a reason for that. Is Andrew Stanton was very into the uh, correctness of the movie, so he wanted everybody to be staring at the right marks and everything like that. So anyone who was just doing the voice of a Thark had to actually be on stilts so they were actually in the 10 to 15 foot tall range so that when the human characters were were playing against them, they would actually be staring up at them, and they would be staring down so they could make the CGI that would later replace them all uh, be correctly. It was It's very interesting, the whole, the whole crisis. And to top this off, they were doing this in the middle of the Utah and Arizona deserts. Fun. Yeah. Yeah, everyone knows stilt walking in the desert is, is just, just lots of fun. Watch out for that quicksand. Yeah. And I'm sure being on the beating heat didn't really help anything either, but no. Yeah. But so this is where this is what I was kind of talking about with the humor, though, is in this part where where he meets the Tharks, it sort of starts shifting a little bit because Tars Tarkas, the Willem Dafoe character, takes him for takes his name to be Virginia because he says he's John Carter of Virginia, and so that's a kind of a running gag through the rest of the of the film as they call him Virginia. But from that point forward, the humor kind of takes a back seat, and it gets really serious really soon because he gets captured. And then we shift over to Deja Thoris, who's played by Lynn Collins, and her father, who she calls Jeddak, which, again, confused me until I kind of figured out that it was a word for leader, is basically trying to get rid of her and uh, get peace with Zadanga, the city that's been attacking them by marrying her off to Sab Than. But meanwhile, she's a scientist, and she's developed this ninth ray thing that's supposed to help them fight back. Meanwhile, somebody in the background destroys her ninth ray. It's all very complex, very political, very sort of manipulation, all going on in a scene of about five to ten minutes. Yes. I, I managed to follow it, but... It, it's hard. It's definitely like this is one you got to pay attention to. It's not a, a typical popcorn flick. Yeah, it's not. Even, it's not even until the end of that scene when, when the the guy who's Jeddak, who ends up being her father, is her father. You figure out that she's a princess. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's it's very confusing. It, it's just very confusing in that respect. The, uh, the characters are not like you said. They're not necessarily introduced correctly, or at all, or at all. That's true. I mean, John Carter himself gets a big introduction because that's, like we said, that's what that whole thing is. And he's probably the most well-developed character outside of the Sola character who becomes his sidekick, essentially. Right. Okay. And, and even she's not, not necessarily developed because what, what happens is he is, in, in sort of conjunction with Tarkas, Tarkas figures out, because he sees John Carter doing it, that... Be- John Carter can jump great distances. So because of his bone density and the lighter gravity on Mars, John Carter is able to jump great distances. He already knew how to fight. We found that out in, in the beginning. So Tars Tarkas is thinking, well, this is a guy who's going to help protect us. Well, Deja Thoris, after the whole daddy's going to marry me off and I'm not real happy about it thing, runs away. And the fight comes to the doorstep of the Tharks. And rather than take sides, they start betting on it with our good buddy John Favreau as the bookie. (laughs) (laughs) And John Carter leaps to the rescue to try and and rescues Deja Thoris and kind of shifts the tide of the battle single-handedly. And it's at that point that Tars Tarkas decides, this is my right-hand guy. (laughs) Yeah. 
I can't remember what he calls him, though. Um, Dojak Thorax or something like that? Thorax? Yeah, Dojak Thorax. Or, yeah, I think you got it right there. Yeah, I'm, I, it's a pronunciation problem. Not I have it written down. I'm just not sure on the pronunciation, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, all the names just get a little much after a while. I yeah, gotta say. they do. And that's where I feel like some of the – I think all of those are probably taken from the book, and I feel like that's probably where some of the confusion would lie for an average fan. You know, we could have probably simplified that and just said, hey, you're my, you know, you're my man-at-arms or something like that and, and made that a little easier. What confused me, and I'm going to, if the, were the, 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 the guys who wrecked her, her invention and the guys who are going against the princess. The Thern. Yes. Were they supposed to be gods? No, no, the gods were the guys cloaked in white. Those are the therns. Right. Okay, I'm making sure I'm on the same page. Okay. Yeah, but they, they weren't really gods. I mean, they were they were just people who were sufficiently more advanced than everyone else. Right. Because he could were, change what he looked like. He could change just about anything about him. Right. But it was all science, right? Because they actually give the weapon to Sab Tharn Than. Sabthan. Yes. It's, it's the name thing. Boy, this is going to be the worst part of this, is remembering all the names. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, so the Therns are, um, he, there's this point in, later on in the movie, I know we're jumping around, but it's not, it's not the, when, the point in time when they have the conversation probably should have happened much sooner, but the truth of the matter is because they're being so accurate to the book, is that's actually the point when he actually learns it in the book, just so you're aware of that. So that's why you get that exposition so late in the game. Ah, okay. That, and it, whereas it probably would have been more valuable in a movie setting to have had it earlier. Um, he, he, he's explaining how they manipulate things politically because the, their goal is to kind of sort of watch the world die, okay, and manipulate it towards this end and, and an end that they find satisfying for some reason. None of that is actually explained very well or framed very well in the movie. And you learn more of it actually – if they ever had a sequel, right, the, the second book is actually The Gods of Mars – I think is what the second book is called, and that's actually goes into this a little bit more. Is there's a lot more investigation because when he comes, by the time um, John Carter comes back to Mars for the second time, spoiler, spoiler. Well, you, <laughs> yeah, he. Well, you know that's how the movie ends. Uh, by the way, in a cliffhanger, folks, that he goes back to Marsum or Mars, and by the time he returns, it's it's been a while because he was trapped on Earth for a while before he was able to capture one of the therns who'd been assigned to Earth and steal their medallion so that he could return. Okay, and because of that time lapse, he he's become this adventurer to a point where like characters like Indiana Jones and Malcolm Reynolds uh, were both based on this aspect of the the adventuring John Carter. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that adventurer is what returns to Mars. So not the guy who was who was torn up inside and had to refine his life, but somebody who already has a purpose and has a goal and understands exploration and how to see the bigger picture. And that's so the person who leaves Mars that first time is a much different person than who returns. And that's what the second book is kind of sort of about. So I would love to see a sequel, but I'm not sure it's going to happen. I'm not sure it's going to happen either. I'm relatively certain it won't. <laughs> I'd actually like to see a different sequel with um, Edgar Ned going out on his own and going that way. Y yeah. So oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I agree. So the, the 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 bookend quality of the movie, I kind of enjoyed the the Carter bookends much better than maybe what was between them, just because it was more interesting. Yes, and overall. easier to follow. Yes, strangely, despite that it had a, a mystery box to open. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Because at this point in the movie, they get into this whole thing about the war between the two cities and the Therns who, like you said, Todd, are manipulating things and the Green Martians. And, like, it, there's a whole long thing because John Carter just wants to go home. And the the person who took him in when Tars Tarkas first brought him in is Sola. And he, Carter figures out that that's Tarkas's daughter. But among the Tharks, you can't show any sort of attachments or weaknesses or anything like that. And he takes them into he takes Deja and Sola into a temple that he should not be in, and kind of tries to figure out why he is where he is and how to get back home to Earth. And they are this caught. Is where he, 
That's where he learns the code words, right? Or not the code words, but the magic words. Or am uh, I thinking not, too? Or am I thinking ahead? You're thinking, you're thinking ahead. You're thinking, yeah, right. you're thinking another cave later later on. <laughs> right. Because they, what happens is then they get caught, and Sola is going to be disciplined one more time, and Tars Tarkas can't stand that because she is his daughter, and he manages to free John Carter, Dejah Thoris, and Sola, who then travel down the River Is to try and find the place where the medallion that Carter has will tell him how to get home. Which, again, like, I don't know how you guys felt. I felt like that whole part, they could have dealt with it in that temple and moved on and saved us 20 minutes. I don't think so. Because they had to go, one, down the River Time. That was part of it, is they were going down the River Time. And, two, there were other people going there, going down the, yeah. going down the river. And Sola needed to see that. Not just for for her beliefs, it seemed like. Because yeah, she yeah. had, it seemed like although her and the princess had the same belief, they like it was like Christianity and Judaism. There, okay, we we we're, okay. They everyone believes in God, but it's not necessarily the same road to get to God. And I kind of right. thought that that was something that Sola needed to see to, to, for her in life. I don't know why. I just kind of thought when she saw that, it's like she was like, wow, this is true. And I, I don't think she had believed it until then, perhaps even. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I get that for sure. And I'm sure that's the way it was presented in the books. Um, because, so this film sort of feels like a serialized piece of war, of fiction, right? Because that whole sequence, that trip, that trip down the river is, is sort of one kind of mini story within the broader story, right? It, it doesn't, like, I, I understand what you're saying, Cheryl, about it. It reveals the belief systems and those sorts of things. I guess my point is, I don't know that that's necessarily all that important to the overall story. It's definitely good character development, and I oh, enjoy watching it. Yeah, but, but I don't know that it's relevant to John Carter. I do. Well, I think it's relative to the. This is where I was. I was going earlier. I think it's relative to the fans because I don't think the fans are the only ones out there. You because the, I know it's confusing. The <laughs> the blue guy, the guys in charge of the Blu-ray. Therns. Thank you. Therns. There we go. <laughs> Those guys. <laughs> um, I thought they aren't the one, the only ones out there, and they aren't the only ones who can manipulate stuff. I got the impression of because she learned how to manipulate the blue. She learned how to be, manipulate the Blu-ray, and she was getting close to the technology. So, I mean, and she was always praying to this goddess. So I was wondering, and I was maybe wondering, okay, maybe there's someone in her background as well working against the Thorns as well. Um, it, it may be. I mean, it's hard to say because the Thorns were so manipulative and you don't know really what went on before. Um, Stan, what, what's interesting is about some of the stuff that we're talking about is that we're saying the plot, we had problems with it, and we're saying there were holes in it. And I thought it was very interesting because I read an interview with Stanton, okay, where he said that he had always had a problem as a child that there were things that Burroughs did not explain, and there were huge plot holes that just, like, were gaping in the original stories, and he had problems with that, and he tried to correct them here. And obviously he doesn't do, didn't do as well a job as he, th as he thought because here we are complaining about problems. Yeah, I mean, I felt like, and you guys, you guys chime in here, but I felt like he tried to like explain too much he you know did. what I mean like using all the names and using all the different sects and all the different you know types of peoples and those sorts of things like the focus of the film should be John Carter and Dejah Thoris that's that's the two main characters and it's their love story their conflict and then their love story that propels the film forward Right. Did they not work for anybody else? Because I thought that any time that it was just them talking on screen, it was like the most – like pulling teeth. I thought they had some slower moments that, cer that certainly could have been sped up. But overall, 
I, I thought most of their interactions were interesting. It held my interest, and I thought it went well with the story. But I thought that some of that was due to the fact that, you know, he had still had this ties to the family that died. And he wasn't, you know. Yes. He wasn't, he wasn't opening himself up to anything either. And so yes. I think that's part of it. I mean, although we don't see the family that died till again, how long it belonged into the movie, we don't yes. find out about that. But I think that was partly holding him back. I, even, I agree, yeah. However, my problem is that even after they're married in the why waste a marriage ceremony scene, Yes, uh, of course. <laughs> happens in every good science fiction movie or fantasy movie. Why waste the marriage ceremony that we've already got set up? Let's use it. What, what happens is, is I, I still don't buy their romance. See, I didn't buy the formation of the romance. The fact that they were falling in love during this trip down the river is. I bought... The the scene where I bought it was, you know, they, they go to the river is and then they're the scene that Cheryl's talking about where we learn about the family is when he's fighting the green Martians as they're trying to escape from the river is. Mm -hmm. And he's just, you know, hacking Martians left and right. Meanwhile, we're getting flashbacks to his family when they get captured and taken back to helium or Zodanga. I forget which one they were at. They were actually at Zodanga at that point. They were at Zodanga. Okay. And she's agreed to go ahead and marry Sab Than because you know, they haven't figured out a way to get this, to, to, to fix this, and John Carter knows how to get back to Earth. That conversation between the yeah. two of them, I felt like that, from that point forward, it worked for me. Because it wasn't until that conversation where they basically laid their feelings on the line for each other, and you saw him decide to stay rather than go, which is what his, his goal up to that point had been, let me get out of here. Yeah. Well, my problem with this is there was this other guy that I think his name was was he Tardos Moores? Is that who he was? The bodyguard. Okay. I thought she had a relationship with him. That's how the movie kind of sort of presented it to me. So when oh okay when she sent him to go convince Carter to break out of Zadanga, right? That right. Which, which was actually to me one of the best scenes in the movie. When yes, he, I agree. <laughs> okay, he's like, because he's like, he's like, put your sword, put my sword to my throat. He's like, what? He's like, put, he's like, stupid Jarsumian or whatever he says. <laughs> yes. and, he, and he does it to himself. He's like, help, help. It was like, that's awesome. <laughs> but I thought uh, it was presented to me almost like they were implying there was a romance between him and her, not, not that she was really necessarily interested in Carter. Ooh, Star Wars theory. Brother and sister. That might have been true. Yeah. <laughs> Could be. Could be. Could be. But uh, I, I don't know. Like I said, I just didn't buy the romance, not all the way through. So. Yeah, I, I definitely didn't think all the way through they were very good. Well, and, like, I really I like Taylor Kitsch, the actor. I just don't know that he was right for this role, and I don't know that he did a fantastic job at it. There were parts where he was very good, and there were parts where he was not very good. It was it, I, I felt kind of an uneven performance. Okay. That may be. So I think that had something to do with it. Because if you've, if you've seen him in Friday Night Lights, he can act like nobody's business. Mm -hmm. I've not seen Friday Night Lights at all. No, uh, either. Stop now and go watch it. I'll okay, come <laughs> It's a fantastic show, and he's a very good actor in that show. So, I just don't know that that this was his particular role. When, when he's sassy, I think are his really strong points. Yes. Okay, like like that point where he's like jumping, he's like no. Uh, I, that's another scene that I really enjoyed in the movie. <laughs> well, that's that's back to the beginning, right? Like Mark was talking about at the, in the first sequence. There's this underlying humor to it, and when he's got that humor, he's good. But when he's trying to be more serious, it's not quite as good. I think one of the other things that added to the humor of the film was the little dog alien. Woola. Yes. I, I thought the only character whose name is actually easy to remember. But I thought it, I thought they really, it wasn't over the top. I thought at first, 
in the first couple scenes with the dog, it was going to be a short little thing. And I thought it might have bordered on annoying for maybe two or three minutes. But then they kind of let up. And then when they're out going towards the river and you just see the dog speeding around the planet, it's, and then later on in the giant fight before he gets captured. And then later on in the final big, uh, the big fight right at the wedding, it, I just thought it added to it. I mean, it wasn't a speaking role or anything, but I think maybe it kind of balanced out where John Carter's humor wasn't all the way through. Even when he's growling at the thern. Yeah. Yeah. That's such, that's so, like, it was, that was, like, like great. There's a scene that's cut, and I think it's that's in the books that's actually cut um, for because I figure that it's a Disney movie, and that's that before John Carter bonds with Woola, right? Because there's two reasons he bonds with Woola in the book, but only one of them is shown in the movie, and that is that Sola says you guard him and don't let him leave, right? Right. Now, now in in the book, the reason for that is that Sola is actually concerned that just outside the walls of the Thark City are the white apes that they keep mentioning, and she doesn't want Carter to go out there because he doesn't know what a white ape is at that point in time, so if he goes outside, he could get killed, right? She doesn't really realize that he's actually capable of defeating them single-handedly at that point in time. They were um, talking white apes, and I thought we were talking, like, other men. I mean, you hear white apes from, like, George of the Jungle, and it's like, okay, a regular white guy. Right. I really wasn't expecting what we got. Yeah, no, it's, it's yeah, well, they're they're... Right, they're in, in the book. They're described as farm. I don't think they're described as being that as big as they are in the movie, as in the book. But uh, the the back to Woola for a second before I jump to the white apes too much. Um, it, is the other scene that they cut out of the book is that there's a beating scene with Woola where the where um, Tal Tal Hodges, the the bad guy, right? He's uh, he and his men are actually beating Woola ahead of time. And so what happens is one of the things John Carter does to bond with. Woola is that he actually like you know treats him like a dog, puts his arm underneath, scratches his chin, and gives him like noogies on the head like you do with a dog, right? And Woola bonds with him because of the kindness, because he's not experienced kindness up until that point in time. So I, I think yeah. had they because it, I think that was left out because it's a Disney movie. Had they left it in, it probably would have explained that bond a little bit better. I think yeah. so. I do. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, so I don't underst- I didn't understand the therns, just so we're, or, or I shouldn't say all the therns, but the 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 leader uh, that's played by Mark Strong, uh, Matai Shang, yep. he you know as as Carter's escaping before the wedding, he captures Carter and sort of forces him to watch the parade and tries to explain their purpose. And I didn't feel like it explained it very well. Like you said, Todd, it's like they're there to watch civilization burn. Okay, what exactly do you get out of that? That's the part I never understood. I just kind of got that they like to go and mess with people, and if it ends their society, oh well. I mean, I just thought they were kind of the cosmic jerks, for lack of a better word. Then what were they doing? What was the one guy doing laying on the slab of of rock in in the cave of gold? That was not explained at all. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. I, I, I guess he was just guarding the portal. But I mean, why not just make the portal a little more secure? Why station a person there? Was kind of it's just this kind of sort of my feeling of it. See, that's um, what had me thinking of two different again, two different races. Maybe, maybe again, someone had cloned or something and hadn't cloned him and and taken his place and. Was a good guy and wanted, you know, wanted someone to send John Carter to Mars. So before the the story kind of sort of is that that this is part of what's not explained is that before the Thern even give uh, Sabfan the weapon, the Nthray weapon, okay, they um, they've actually helped the Thern have over time helped them build Zadanga, which is this moving city, right? It's not a stationary city like Helium is. It's okay. the moving city, isn't it's it? The mo- right. And what one of the things that it's doing is it's actually drawing the life out of Mars. And I think that's part of 
the that's what I'm saying. That's the motivation that's missing. Is my understanding from the books was that the, the destruction of Mars was to feed the ageless quality of the therns. It's how they it's how they keep themselves alive. But I don't think that's explained. No, no, right? it's not. No, and, definitely not. And that's because I think because Stanton and um, the other two guys, who I can't remember at this point in time, they um, spent all this effort to keep so strict to that first novel. And they didn't. There's some things that are thrown in from later novels, by the way. But um, they they didn't throw in things that probably would have been more useful from later novels, like that information. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, and that's what it felt like. It felt like basically we were getting um, – For this is a bad comparison, but like we were getting part of the story from the first Harry Potter movie or the first Harry Potter book and – that it was basically there to set up the other books and novels, or in this case, uh, movies, and we didn't get the whole story of the big bads. You know what I mean? Right. Sort of like here's here's enough to get you to keep your interest and, and keep going, but we'll reveal the rest of it as a big plot twist in like movie number four. Which there's only one problem with that: when your box office is what John Carter's is, there won't be a movie number four. Right. No, no, you're right. And and that's the thing is so since you brought up Harry Potter, the difference is is that Voldemort is first introduced as just a word in Harry Potter, right? Yeah. Okay. And it's not until the end of that first movie where you even get a glimpse of Voldemort. And you still don't understand what Voldemort is because you're not supposed to because there hasn't really been much time spent on him up until that point. Right. Okay. And it's not and then in the second movie there's a lot of information given about Voldemort though you don't realize it until the end of the movie. Correct. <laughs> okay. So again, you spent a lot of time on a character that you don't even realize is the character that you're that you're probably most interested in. And, and so the way they build Voldemort as a bad guy is much better because they put him together in pieces because by definition, sorry, it's spoiler for Harry Potter, he is in pieces. Right. So that's, that's why the character is put together in pieces because of how he is. Uh, this... Here, they, like you said, they keep throwing a lot of information at you and expecting you to make connections that you're not given the information to make. Yes. The, they that, do expect a lot out of the audience. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I want to see it again, right? I would like to see it again to try and piece those things together. Yes. It's also kind of like Star Wars. I mean, I mean, I mean, like... Well, most of us, the series, I mean, most of us here, the series is the four... And goes four, five, six. Then they go in one, two, three. And then now we're now we're in on TV on TV. We're also um, at two point five. Two point, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somewhere between two and three. Um, right. So I don't know if they were trying to go with the Star Wars and they didn't realize. Well, we don't really have that big of a plot because it's you know not the same plot. You know. It's it's sure in space, but it sure is not the same type of plot. I I wonder if it's because they felt that people have seen this before, so people are smart enough to handle this. I, I which is very odd for Hollywood to even consider in the first place. But maybe that's what was going on. Yeah, I don't know. Right. I mean, I honestly don't know. I. Yeah, I mean, because you understand what I mean, right? It's usually Hollywood assumes that people watching their movies or their television shows is not the smartest person in the world right okay it's just it's it's the way that they treat society because they find that it makes them the most money okay True. and this is this is interesting because i think that this movie decided that well you know all this has happened before because like we were saying is there's so there's been a lot of talk right is that um people who don't really know the history of the story have made comments like um like this is too much like conan the barbarian the aliens look like the aliens from avatar all of this is very funny, right? Because like I was saying earlier with Star Wars, where, it's, where George Lucas has said that this was one of his major influences, right? Is yeah. Conan the Barbarian was, influ was created after this and influenced by this, okay? Um, you know, Superman, Flash Gordon, Avatar, James Cameron said this, that John Carter stories were one of his greatest influences. Um, you know, Ray Bradbury once said that this is that Edgar Rice Burroughs was the most influential writer bar none of the entire century. 
Okay, that's Arthur C. Clarke did not start writing science fiction until he read the John Carter series. Okay, yeah. um, just just fun little thing. Noah Wiley's character on ER is named John Carter, and actually, no, knowingly named after the ca- character of John Carter in the books. Um, you know, there's a crater on Mars named after him. Like I said, and, you know, so all all throughout this is there's so much that has been presented already in the genre that is influenced by John Carter that maybe Disney decided that, well, you know, if you know all of this stuff, and most of the people that will be watching this do, we don't need to tell them all this stuff. They can figure it out. Yeah. I think I think there are two things that I thought when, when I watched this is very much what you're saying. The analogy I always make to my younger friends is if you go back and listen to Van Halen 1 now, the first Van Halen album – and you hear Eddie Van Halen play guitar for the first time, you're going to go, what's so special about this? Because everyone since 1977 has played guitar the way Eddie Van Halen does. Right. But you don't realize that if you go back and listen to to their first albums. It's the same exact thing of what you're saying. The other is Andrew Stanton does not make films that aren't challenging. Finding Nemo and Wally, while they are, you know, all ages, or I, I, I hate to use the word kids' films, they're definitely challenging films. Mm-hmm. I think with this, he was trying to make a challenging film, be devoted to the book, be you know, be a John Carter fanboy almost, and not talk down to the audience, and I just don't think all of those things were compatible, I guess yeah. is the problem. Well, I would, I would argue, I mean, we haven't discussed yet, but I would argue that Wally is actually not a kids' movie of all the Pixar movies. Yeah, I I can see that. Yeah, I, I that's just an opinion that I have. I, but if you look at the contrast from going from Finding Nemo to Wally, it's they are very different movies. Yes, okay. but they're but but you agree they're both challenging, right? Finding Nemo is not one you can watch without thinking about things. It it what I what okay one of the most amazing we haven't discussed it yet either. But one of the most amazing things about Finding Nemo, right, is that the entire movie is two characters almost. Yeah. Right, which is very rare. Um, and that's that's and I find it's really hard to keep people interested in that. And if there's no point in that movie that you can't not be interested in what's going on, that's my opinion of Finding Nemo in a nutshell. Um, okay. Wally, you have to like like the most obvious thing about Wally is there's no words for like the first 40, 50 minutes of the movie, <laughs> right? For, right? Something like that, some crazy amount yeah. of time. Um, and it, it's and that's the challenge, right? Is how do you keep that interesting? Right, and and but here you can't you can't assume interest, and I think that's the mistake that was made. Yeah, I agree. You have because to- I think I think the people who wrote it, Stanton wrote it along with um, Michael Chabon, who wrote Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay and won a Pulitzer Prize. He's yep. a fantastic writer. They're both huge, huge John Carter fans. Right. Well, Mark Andrews also, right? He's the third guy, right? Yeah, yeah. And 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 Mark Andrews was story supervisor for one of my favorite movies, The Incredibles. So it's it's I think he was put in for the superhero angle because like I said, I mean most of comic book genre today was influenced by by John Carter novels, so in one way or another. And it I think that's why he was pulled into it because he has that knowledge. Yeah, I would agree. I think I think we've bored Mark, but you know what'll get him back is what got me back in this movie. The giant fight scene that ends the entire ending of the movie, because after John Carter escapes, it's been, from that point forward, they had me because it was one big action-packed funorama from that point forward. I think what kind of got me at the end, or not the end, but what really kind of made me stop and go, wait, this is a Disney movie? And because we took Tim with us, I mean, he's seen all the pirate movies. Uh, for those who don't know, Tim is my seven-year-old son. And, you know, he handled, he handles Captain America, the superhero movie. So he's not unaccustomed to the, um, uh, every now and then good versus bad guy fight. Um, I was really kind of shocked with the, I don't want to say the level of gore because there wasn't a lot of it, but in the arena scene with the giant white, with the two white apes and where Carter comes up through one of them looking like he just got put into Avatar. <laughs> and then just and then there's another scene where there was just a straight out beheading and you know I was kind of shocked that Disney greenlit that um 
even though I mean, this obviously wasn't like a regular Disney movie, but still, I mean, there's usually that separation to a degree. But you're right. The last final fight scene where um, the uh, where the oh, what is it, the green the forearm green people? I completely just blanked. The green are Tharks, whites are Therns, and reds are just red Martians. Okay. When the Tharks got on the uh, <laughs> flying machines, and they're like, no, we, we can't follow you. We, we, we swore never to do that. And then you see them flying on them and just kind of crashing the party. It, at, <laughs> it was a great fight scene. I mean, it looked great. You couldn't say, yeah, it was a lot of CGI, but it was some very, very well done CGI. I agree. You know, my favorite movie was towards the end, the the reference to the Mario games. Did anyone else catch the reference to the Mario games? No, I didn't. If I, 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 didn't. I I'm no. going to say the quote, and then you're going to realize, oh my, they really did do that. Your princess is in another castle. Oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> they did do that, didn't they? They really right. did. <laughs> I never, I didn't catch that, but yeah, that's straight up on that, so. Yeah, it, I thought that was like, I, it, it was just really funny because they get there and it's such a letdown. <laughs> it is, yeah. But I, I mean, like, I really enjoy the, the basic fight scene is, you know, John Carter recruits the Tharks and uh, after he fights in the, in the arena, which is the scene most of us probably saw in the trailer, and becomes the leader of the Tharks and gets them to attack Zadanga and 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 Helium and everyone gets into the big fight and and that's where they finally reemerge. Victorious Carter marries Deja Thoris and becomes the the head of Helium, but then uh, there's one more plot twist. <laughs> yeah, but then the Therns send him back to Earth right after he gets married. The poor guy. Yeah. Which which brings us back to the original story of of Ned who realizes that what has been relayed to him through this diary is the fact that he, that his uncle John Carter spent his entire life trying to find a way back to Mars. Uh, and that the tomb that he is buried in is actually a tomb that holds his body because when he's in Mars, it's actually a copy of his body, not his actual body. And Ned goes to open it is about to get shot by a third. And then John Carter turns up looking, I think about 10 years younger than he actually looked on Mars and shoots the third. <laughs> in order to get back uh, to Mars. And that's how the movie ends, was with him sealed up in the tomb, headed back to Barsoom. But, but you know, I, I want to see the I want to see the second part of the story. I don't know what's going to happen now. Yeah, yeah, it's sad that, that we might not get a sequel, unfortunately. So. From what I, would, I had read something earlier before we started recording that they had actually, start, uh, Jim Morris and Lindsay Collins had actually started working on the sequel, so... Yeah. Well, you always set people to start writing. It doesn't mean it happens because writing is actually the least paid of the jobs. <laughs> so of course, it, it's the it's. I hate to say that, but it, it is on. It, it is in a movie, so it's easiest to once you once you know you're going to release and you're in post production, you send people off to write start writing the sequel, even if you never use it, just because you get prepared for it. It's one of those. It's one of those things. I I really. Uh, Cheryl forgot about this, but I figured I'd bring it up. Is that uh, Cheryl loves the actor who plays uh, Ned at the end? Edgar. Yes. Edgar. Edgar. Well, Ned. Edgar. Yeah. Do, do you do you want to talk about who he is, Cheryl? He is actually the one the one of the rude kids from Spy Kids. Yes. He, he's wow. he's the yeah. Am I the only one who felt like I wanted to see more of that? Once he, uh, more of the story of once he got sent back to Earth, and there's that ten years he's plotting, trying to find the other medallion and the other uh, therns on Earth. Yes, I would do. I, do any of the other books go into that? Because I, I, I would really like to see that part I, of the story. I can tell you something to read. Yes, you, you can go read uh, Alan Moore's uh, comic book series, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh-huh. and John Carter shows up in it as does a descendant of John Carter, to fight, right? The, I believe they have the Barsoomiums fight the aliens from War of the Worlds in League of Extraordinary Generals, if I remember correctly. In the second uh, volume, in the, yes. In the second volume, okay, that's what's going on, yeah. I've, it's been a while since I read any of that stuff, so. Um, and it, so it's covered in there a little bit. You see him come up. He's a very popular uh, character to bring up when you start 
bring all those characters together. And Alan Moore's not the only person to bring all those characters together, like Captain Nemo and uh, Doc Savage. Doc Savage? Yeah. Right. Doc okay. Savage, yeah. And uh, on and on and on. So. I enjoyed the movie. I thought... I, I didn't understand... Uh, to, well, to a degree, I understand why the media got on it the way it did. Yeah. But I thought overall it was... I enjoyed it. I would like to see it again, and I'll be picking it up when it comes out on DVD. I thought the media railed on it too hard and really kind of gave it a disadvantage to the start. Then again, they didn't do themselves any favors with the marketing. Right. Like like we were saying, they, they did market what should have been a family action-adventure movie towards families. And I think that that's, that's the fundamental is is clearly we, we're talking and we all agree that this movie was poorly marketed, but – I read Andrew Stanton say in a um, interview, right, that he felt that you know he fell in love with this story when he was ten years old, and now he's almost fifty, and he tried to make sure that he made a movie that appealed to ten year olds and fifty year olds. And I said, great. So you're trying to make a movie that has a f- family quality, and where was the advertisement for that? Exactly. There were a lot of plot holes. I felt that you know they didn't, they they weren't. A deal breaker for me, but I would have liked to see. Uh, to, I would have liked to understood more of why the Therns decided to go and get involved and sabotage uh, every entire world. And ju- they just kind of touch and say, "Oh, well, we do this almost just for fun because we can." But to me, uh, and when I heard that, I was kind of going like, "Well, why did something happen to you? Did did some did a species on this planet do something?" There were just enough plot holes to where it didn't tie everything together to make it a an amazing film in my mind, but it was still an enjoyable film. All right, so then, Mark, uh, as per usual, we give ratings on this program. What would you rate John Carter? Out of what? Five. I would give it three thirds out of five. <laughs> what about you, Cheryl? What did you think of John Carter? I go with that same three. I the three out of five, definitely. I like I said, I would, I would, if I were to want to see a sequel, I would like to see what Ned does, because at the at the end of the movie, he gives he gives Ned the mission of going out there. Yeah. Todd, what about you? Um, so, I, I'm also going to go with a three, as I I think we're doing like same so far. Um, my my thing is this: sorry, it's like it, it, I am a huge lover of the B science fiction movies, and so as a result, to me, this is just a solid B science fiction movie. You, despite everything that we said that was annoying about it, you know what? Every every good because it's bad science fiction movie. Okay. Yeah. It's just like this, and so it becomes out. It, it, it's not a not enjoyable movie. I actually enjoyed watching it. It was it was good eye candy for the moment that I was watching it. Uh, at the same time, I was the only person who still sat in my seat through the credits in the entire theater. Okay, which yeah. is not which is not a good thing. I mean, usually you have about anywhere from fifty to twenty people, and I was literally the only person sitting down watching the credits. Right. Uh, so I, I, I think that people were just looking to get out of their seats, and that's not how you want a movie to be. Um, so for me, it's 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 probably really like a two, two and a half, but because of the type of movie it is and the fact that I really enjoy that more, it's it's a three for me. Yeah. I yeah I agree. I mean, I think it's 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 a movie that's science fiction in the way science fiction used to be back in the olden days when it was less about let's build cool-looking gadgets and spaceships and things, and more about story and plot and allegory. And I think Stanton and and team tried to do a a very good job of adapting a serial and make it feel more serialized. Uh, I think all the things we talked about just makes it fall a little bit flat for me. You know what it made me want to do, though, more than anything, is go read the books. Yeah, I would really like to read the books again. Oh, yes, I entirely time. agree. But uh, but as far as the movie goes, I'll give it a three, and then I'll read the books, and I'll let you guys know what I think of those eventually. 
Wow. So we were solid across the board. Yeah, I think that might be the first time that's happened. Yeah. It's, the, it's a sign of the end times. <laughs> run away, <laughs> run away. So until next week, you can keep in touch with us. You can let us know what you think of this show. Go over to DisneyFilmProject.com, and you can leave a comment on the show notes there. You can tweet us at DizFilmProject, or you can go over to Facebook and search for Disney Film Project and let us know what you think of the show there. You can keep in touch with all of us on our various and sundry blogging platforms. You can check out Todd and myself over at touringplans.com. Check out Bree's attractions blogs, my film blogs, and Todd's chief technical wizardry over at disneydrivenlife.com. And you can keep up with Cheryl's travails trying to keep this podcast together at about.me slash Cheryl P3. And also, don't forget to check out Magic 24.7. Listen to the box office report sponsored by us here at Disney Film Project. So go over to magic247radio.com and listen to that show so you can check out the box office report. So until next week, folks, keep it watching the movies. Virginia. It is a game that we have been playing since the beginning of Barsoom. We will continue to play it long after the Earth ends. Did I not tell you he could jump? We did not cause this, but this very night, we will end it. <laughs> <laughs>